Proverbs chapter 3, if you're a note taker, this morning's subject matter is some important reminders. Proverbs 3, 1 through 12 says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And God add his blessing to his word. Amen. This morning, when I talk about important reminders, the underlying truth that we all need to be reminded of is trust. Trust is the fabric that keeps us connected to Christ and connected to other people in a healthy way. Trust can be defined as reliance upon or confidence in. It is also translated in Scripture as faith, faithful and one who believes from the heart. And so trusting in the Lord begins and begins to grow until it bears fruit when God's word finds entrance into our heart because God's word is likened unto a seed and not any type of seed, but an incorruptible seed, a seed that will produce after its own kind. It will produce godliness it will produce faith, it will produce holiness, it will produce integrity, it will produce honesty, it will produce godliness. I love that because in a world that sometimes seems to have lost its way and it's wandered from its path, when anyone opens up their heart to the counsel of the word of God again, it's like planting soil, I mean seed into soil, and that will produce, and I'm thankful for that. We are warned and instructed in God's word not to place our trust in our flesh because our flesh can fail us. Our flesh is temporal, but God is eternal. We're not to place our trust in man, the ability of man, the intellect of the uh, intelligence of man, or the might or the power of a man. We're not to place our trust in money or material possessions because material wealth or possessions are temporal. They're not eternal. We're called to be good stewards of everything that God has entrusted to our care. And stewardship is something that's sacred before the Lord. Money is to be our servant and not our master. It's not to control us. We are to use it for the glory of God and to take care of the responsibilities that we have while we're here serving the Lord on earth. We're not to put our trust in our own good works. Noble deeds done towards others will not lead us into the path of peace with God. While good deeds are good to do, we don't put our faith in our good deeds. We put our faith 
in the work of the cross for our salvation. Good deeds cannot save us. They cannot rescue us from the sin and the penalty of sin. Only the work of Jesus Christ on the cross can do that. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can remove and remit all the stain of sin, all the sting of sin, and all the punishment of sin. And so sometimes we misplace our faith. We put our confidence in our flesh, in men, in money or material things, or sometimes in our good behavior or conduct. And when we misplace our trust, the Lord is drawing us back unto himself. He's calling us. He's beckoning us to get back on solid ground because everything else is a slippery slope. Everything else is quicksand. And, you know, the first step into soft soil isn't necessarily going to take you knee deep. It may take you ankle deep. But if you go into the midst of soft soil before long, you're neck deep. You're in it way over your head at times. And that's what takes place when we misplace our trust. And the enemy is out there endeavoring to pull and endeavoring to get us to misplace our trust in this life. Many of us face the temptations and the trials and the pull of the thing that I'm just reminded you of. And and we feel that. We feel this pressure sometimes to be men pleasers instead of God pleasers, to conform to the culture instead of being transformed into the image of Christ. We we recognize it's a real pull. But in the midst of that pull, there's also a real draw and a real pull by the Spirit of God to lead us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. We could put it this way. There is at times in the midst of our walk with the Lord, in the midst of learning how to trust in Him, intersections or crossroads where we're wondering, do I go this way? And what if I don't do this? And if I do this, what will happen? And at that moment, we need to stop because we're starting to lean too heavily on our own understanding. The path of the righteous is like a bright light. It shones brighter and brighter until the day of salvation. So follow the light of God's word. Follow the counsel of God's word, even if it goes contrary to your own intellect. God's word can be trusted. It's a walk of faith. It's a walk of consecration. So we live in a world right now that is very sarcastic, very cynical, very skeptical. Trust is something humanity honestly is struggling with because of, I believe, three things. One is they haven't been taught that God is trustworthy. There's a lack of knowledge of the things of God in our culture today. And there's a lot of competition for people's time, for their resources, for their energy. And people sometimes choose to go the path of being popular, the path of convenience, the path of least resistance. And as a result of that, the things of Christ, which were once so present in our nation, are losing their presence. But God is a God who restores. He's a God who redeems. He's a God who can bring back. And those are the attributes of our Heavenly Father that we need to remember. It's not our responsibility to redeem. It's our responsibility to put our trust in the Redeemer. It's not within my might or my ability to change the culture, but Christ introduced into the culture can cause that culture to come alive again. We all have a part to play in a role and a responsibility before the Lord. So with this struggle and with 
this lack of knowledge that that is creating part of the struggle, men have become more pessimistic. They're more fearful. They're fearful because they've been hurt or wounded potentially. People that maybe they did rely on or did depend on had let them down and so they become guarded and they put up walls and they make vows to themselves that they're not going to trust again. They're not going to open up their heart and try again. And so this lack of knowledge that sometimes leads us to our isolation because of fear. Fear of failure, you know, fear of failure is something that's real. But let me give you the four fears that plague humanity right now. And this is from some recent polls. The number one fear of people in our culture, talking about Western Hemisphere, we're talking about Americans within that, is fear of rejection. People are, are bombarded with a standard of what you have to look like, uh, where you, where you, how you dress, uh, you know, your body weight, everything. I mean, there is this, this overwhelming bombardment sensually through our senses of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And, and, and if, you, if you believe that, then you buy into this you're never enough philosophy. You're never enough. And that fear creates this concern about being rejected. I would get out and, and I would take a step of faith or I would be more involved or I'd be more committed or I, I would, you know, uh, develop more relationships. But I have such a concern that I don't measure up to everybody's expectation. Listen, if you were good enough for Jesus, you're good enough. And if people don't accept you because you were good enough for Jesus, then the Lord helped them to see how valuable you are. The second thing that plagues people when it comes to fear is fear of failure. The third is fear of the future. And number four is the fear of man. You know, just where can I go to the movie theater? Can I go to the mall? Is it safe to go here? Is it safe to travel at night? Can I go for a walk with my family in the twilight of the evening? And so those things are recognizable. I think the third thing that causes people to struggle with fear is pride. Just our own ego gets in the way. The inflated idea of how awesome we are. You ever think that you're awesome? And before the Lord you are. I mean, honestly, I do believe this about the Lord, that the Lord has a great big refrigerator in heaven and your picture's on it. I, I think he looks at that and he says, you're awesome. But that's him saying that to us. We shouldn't say that about ourselves. And if, if someone besides the Lord says you're awesome, you say, no, I'm not. You don't want to degrade yourself, but don't elevate yourself bigger than what you are. We've heard the old adage, you know, they got too big for their britches. That's another way of just saying their ego got in the way. Their head got so big they couldn't walk through the door. You know, all the little idioms that we have, the colloquialisms that we use to describe someone that, you know, believes something about themselves that's really not true. Have you ever embellished a story about yourself just to make yourself like Superman or my favorite, Aquaman? Aquaman's awesome because, you know, two-thirds of the world's covered with water. We won't go there, but, I mean, that's a lot of area that he has to protect. But even Aquaman isn't awesome. Only Jesus is. Amen. 
An Aquaman's knee will bow to Jesus. That's just a side thought there. So what does it take to overcome the struggles that this lack of knowledge, this fear, and this pride produces in our life? Well, the antidote for all of it, if you lack knowledge, what do you need? You need knowledge. But what kind of knowledge? You need the knowledge of the truth. And and that's going to take care of the lack of knowledge that we have that causes us not to trust. The reality is, is that in life you're going to fall. That's, that's not the narrative. The narrative is get up and go. The righteous are even promised that you'll fall multiple times, up to seven times. You may try something and not see much traction or much success. But the counsel is still the same. Get up. The righteous get up because they have someone to get up for and something to get up for. And that is they still have a future and a hope because of God. He knows the plans he has for us, plans for good and not for harm, for a good expected end. See, the end isn't here yet because we're still here. The end of the chapter, the end of this season, the end of this story hasn't occurred yet. The narrative is still being written when we get up. The enemy says, don't get up, lay down, give up. But the knowledge of who God is and how he is our number one fan and cheerleader because he's our savior causes us to get up. So the truth helps us to overcome the lack of knowledge. What helps us to eliminate fear? Perfect love cast out fear. Sometimes it's good just to sit and soak and and read the portions of scripture where we're reminded that God loves us, period. Exclamation point. It's not question mark and it's not with qualifiers. It's always just a punctuation mark after God loves you. Punctuation. It's not based on what you've done or what you will do. It's based on who he is and his commitment to be true to his nature. Even when we're not faithful, he remains faithful. We didn't do anything for him to love us. And we can't do anything to get him not to love us. He loves us. Here's the question, though, I think sometimes we have to respond to. It's not, does God love me? Remember when Jesus was restoring Peter? What did Jesus, who is the Son of God, we could say he is the Lord, he is God in the flesh. What did he ask Peter? Do you love me? But the first thing we have to know is God loves us. And let me share with you how you can know God loves you. If you're having doubts or struggles with that, just look at the cross. On the cross is God's exclamation point that I love you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love has no man than he laid down his life for his friends. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of his Father on high. Consider Jesus, lest you grow weary in your mind and faint. This man who faced temptation and trial and yet went all the way to the cross because of his love for us. And then begin to look at your life in ways that you can demonstrate your love for him. I think the number one way is 
We could say obedience, but that can sort of almost feel like a duty. But I think it's trust. I think it's the very core of what Proverbs chapter 3 talks about. I think then when we trust the Lord, we're displaying, Lord, I love you. I believe you. I rely upon you. I depend upon you. And when you trust someone, obedience is the fruit that follows. How about pride? What's the antidote for pride? Humility. And everyone is drawn to someone who's sincerely humble. The enemy will say, don't humble yourself. They'll reject you. Just the opposite happens because Satan is known as a liar and the father of lies. When we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, when we humbled ourselves and said, Jesus is Lord, Jesus be my Lord, you were exalted. You were brought into the family of God. You were translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. So what does it take to overcome the struggles of the lack of knowledge, the fear that we face in this life and the pride that all of us must wrestle with? It's the truth. It's the love of God. It's the humility that we show because of God's grace towards us. I want to remind you that we can trust in the Lord because of two unchangeable truths. These are reasons that you and I can trust in the Lord. First is, he's not a man that he can lie. I, I can always trust someone who's, who's truthful. Jesus is the way. What's the second title? He's the truth. You can trust God because he will never mislead you. He will never say anything that's not true to you. And he always says this in a way that he has your best interest in mind. He speaks the truth to us in love. The second reason that we can trust in the Lord is that God never changes. While the seasons of our life change, the Lord of the seasons never changes. He's the same. While we've never experienced certain seasons, the God of all seasons is there and he's our rock. He's our foundation. He upholds us. He strengthens us. And these are truths that we can hold on to. Here's some important reminders. The things that we look at, the things we listen to, what we think upon, and those words that we speak shape our behavior. The book of Proverbs gives us that narrative over and over again because God wants us to understand, right? When you look unto someone, you're putting your trust in them. When you're listening to someone, you believe in them. When you're thinking and pondering about the path that God has for our life, it's because you're relying on him to direct your steps. When you're speaking of the good things of God, it's because you know he has an ear to hear and he's working. So look at these as ways that you can strengthen your trust in the Lord. Look to him, listen to him, think about him, speak about him, and he will shape your behavior. He'll help you with your wounds, with your hang-ups, with your addictions, with your fears, because that's who he is. God's word brings light and life to our heart and minds. It drives out the darkness of doubt. It gives us confidence and faith. That God is trustworthy even when we don't understand. 
God is trustworthy. He's bigger than my mind. He's bigger than my understanding. In those times where I don't understand, I'm not going to lean upon my understanding. I'm going to learn to lean on the everlasting arms of God. Because those are the arms that will sustain me. There are things that happen that I do not understand. But I'm still called to put my trust in Him. And I can because He's never lied to me. And He's never changing. He's my rock. I don't, I don't want to move from a rock to a sandy foundation when I don't understand. I want to stay on the rock. Understanding may come in time. But trust is always something we're to display in the moment. We are called to put our trust in the Lord even when we are afraid. Whatever times I am afraid, the psalmist says, I will trust in you. At that moment, it's a choice. It's a choice that we can exercise. And I'll put my trust in the Lord even when I have sinned and fallen short of his best. I still run to him because the promise is this. If I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Short story, when I first came to the Lord, there were many things that were changed in my heart. I mean, immediately there was a, there was a recognizable change in my language and my attitude. But there were other things that, you know, it took a season and a time of renewing my mind to the word of God before they changed. And so because of that, there were things that I occasionally did over and over and over again. And I knew they were wrong. And because of that, I went to the Lord over and over and over again. And as long as I kept going to the Lord, he kept forgiving me and cleansing me over and over and over again. And one day when I got to the place where I realized that he doesn't get weary and tired of forgiving me. I was 16 years old. I was in my room and I was reading the Gospels. And this is what came to me. It was like a light that just blew up in my spirit. And it came in the form of a question. Doug, do you take a shower every day? The answer was yes. Next question, why do you take a shower? Because I get dirty. And what does the shower do? It cleans me up. And how do you feel when you're done with the shower? I feel good. You get the analogy. We need cleansed daily. We need to go to him and say, Father, forgive me. Father, cleanse me. And then you walk away and you feel good. The shower wasn't a sign that I had failed because I had gone out and got soiled or dirty. The shower was there to clean me up. And so is the blood of Jesus. No matter how many times you have sinned, every time you go to your Savior, the blood hasn't lost its power. And he cleanses us. I love the description. He's the washing of the water by his word. Where's our trust? My trust is in the word, if it was in my conduct, well, then I wouldn't have a very good foundation because daily I need that shower and cleansing of the blood of Christ. 
Psalms 19, verse 7 and 8 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We have a reliable resource in this life, God's word, the truth that we can stand upon. I came across this article while I was preparing for today's message, and it's entitled, If I Were the Devil. It reads this way, if I were the devil, I would work on subverting all of humanity. I would begin with a campaign of whispers. With the cunningness of a serpent, I would whisper, as I did to Adam and Eve, did God really say? And then I would invite them to do as you please, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that mankind created God to cover their own weaknesses and inabilities to handle life's responsibilities and pressures, not the other way around. I would teach the adults to despise or to deify their leaders, to look unto them for money, for resources, for health, for quality of life. Then I would get organized. I would really get all of my demons together. And I would begin to recruit authors, writers, and journalists to print sensual, pleasing books and magazines that appeal to humanity's selfish desires. I would get them to embellish the news stories in order to change the beliefs and moralities of the people. I would make sure that TV and movie programming was filled with confusing relationships in order to desensitize their audience into believing that good is evil and evil is good, that marriage can be between any two genders. Then I would get the legislators to make it a law of the land. I would viciously and relentlessly attack the institutions that God ordained, the family, government, and the church. But I would do it in such a way that no one recognized it was me. I would use language like times change, things evolve, Therefore, we must adopt new standards in order to keep up with these changing times. I would encourage school administrators to neglect disciplining improper behavior or emotions that are out of control by the student body. I would cause them to believe that if they just let them run wild and then bring in the metal detectors and the drug-sniffing dogs, that everything would be curbed and the behavior would be modified. I would lure priests and pastors, politicians and parents into ambushing, into abusing their authority. I would push the extremes of civil society and punish with high taxes those that have good work ethics in order to take care of those who will not work when they have the ability to. I would continue to plague the world with new diseases, with medical, which medical science could find no cure, creating fear and restricting the liberties of travel. In other words, if I were the devil, I would keep on doing what I have always done. Divide the family, divide government, divide the church, then get mankind to blame God and not trust him. Paul Harvey, 1965. The more things change, the more they stay the same. See, one of the greatest tests in life is the trust test. We take it multiple times a day, whether we realize it or not. You took it when you got in your vehicle this morning. You, you did when you came and sat in that gray chair. You display trust in more ways than you imagine every single day. Why not 
intentionally put your trust in God? Why not become so comfortable with God that you believe he'll uphold you just like that gray chair is? He'll provide for you. He'll minister to you. He'll comfort you just like you put your trust in that gray chair. Just like when you turn the ignition, you believe you put your trust that the engine would ignite. See, this this is the call of Christ to his church to trust in him. While the world might seem at odd or peculiar, it is our position and it is our prerogative to live on that path. And I believe it is. On the heels of this article that I just read by Paul Harvey in 1965 came the Jesus movement and the charismatic renewal. I wonder what God has in store for us. In troubling times, the world historically has looked to the church for a credible message. Let us not lose out on this opportunity to tell them the truth that is as it is found in God's word. There are people that are genuinely seeking. Let's keep majoring on the major, speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent. In this life of faith, trust is a must. It is the foundation. These are important reminders, I believe, for every single one of us. I believe this call and this consecration begins with us of keeping Christ and his church in their proper place, which is first. And I believe that when we do that, the rest of our life amazingly finds rhythm and placement. Can you say amen? Father, we thank you for these reminders, for these truths are eternal and things that help us if we've wandered from our foundation to get back to it upon the rock, which is Christ Jesus and his sayings. And I thank you that the Holy Spirit will personalize this and solidify it in our heart. And we're careful to give you the glory and the honor and the praise in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, the call is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall. It's an absolute promise. He shall direct your paths. I want to invite you to stand this morning as I give us an opportunity to pray a prayer of consecration, of trust, of commitment in him. This is a heartfelt prayer. One of the necessities that needs to be stirred up and then lived out through us as Christians is heartfelt love for God. Heartfelt love. Not just, yeah, 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 I know, I know. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. But this deep-seated knowing of the love of God. It frees us up to share who he is and what he's done for us. It, it eliminates the concern about rejection or failure. It establishes us on a firm and a strong foundation. See, God, God didn't come to fill your head with knowledge. He came to fill your heart with love. 
And it's something that you and I have to open up our heart to allow him to do that. You can hear something between your two ears and it makes a lot of sense. But until you actually say, yes, yes, Lord, yes, that's that journey it makes down into the deepest core of who you are. And that is into your heart or into your spirit. That's transformation. That's where transformation takes place. You can know I, I need to forgive people. Yes, I know I need to be serving. Yes, I know I need to be giving. And it all just can become a bunch of work. But when you serve the Lord from your heart, there's no, there is no regret to it. There is no regret to it. And so if this message ministered to you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you a moment to just acknowledge, Lord, I trust in you. Lord, help me to have more knowledge of who you are so I can love you deeper. Lord, free me from the fear of man, which is a snare to my soul. Help me to abide in your word and in your presence. Lord, I thank you as your people are making decisions and as their heart is reaching out to you, that, Lord, you're ministering to them, strengthening them, upholding them with your mighty hand. And I thank you, no one can take us out of your hand. And we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.